Hi, I'm Gavin Giovanni, Professor of Neurology at Barts and London School of Medicine and Dentistry. And in this MSLFI podcast, I'm going to discuss a case study about whether or not a patient should switch from oculizumab to opatumumab on the advice of the uh, healthcare professional. This is a common scenario in the NHS, mainly because of problems with infusion capacity in the NHS. Uh, MS centers are encouraging their patients to switch from IV infusion medications like ocrelizumab uh, to uh, ofatumumab or from IV natalizumab to subcutaneous natalizumab to try and free up infusion capacity. This particular patient sent me an email asking me uh, whether or not ofatumumab is safer than ocrelizumab and whether or not it's more effective. Uh, the first right. question was from the healthcare professional, and the second was based on what we put out on InfoCart. In, in terms of whether ofatumumab is safer than ocrelizumab, I think when you look at the phase three trial data, as well as the extension data, on balance, ofatumumab looks to be safer than ocrelizumab, at least in the short term. I'm talking about years one to four. Um, but in my opinion, the differences are probably so small, um, they may not be clinically relevant, at least in my MS practice, and I would need a lot more data before being categorical about one drug being safer than the other. There is some nuance to this because, as you know, ofatumumab is given uh, is not given by infusion, it's given subcutaneously, and you don't get cell lysis occurring with the uh, uh, with the um, subcutaneous injection, where you do get cell lysis with uh, ocrelizumab infusions. And to prevent this, we give uh, high-dose steroids to try and prevent infusion reactions. And we know that high-dose steroids in themselves are associated with complications, uh, both immunosuppression, avascular necrosis, hypertension, diabetes, uh, uh, osteoporosis, etc. So you do avoid the need for steroids by giving off a tumumab. But my personal opinion, this can be de-risked because the infusion reactions with ocrelizumab really only occur as uh, on day on the first and second infusion, that's day one and day 15, and then with the second course at month six. And after this, the infusion reactions are really not a problem. And a lot of centers have actually done away with uh, continued in, uh, steroid in, uh, infusions to prevent beyond uh, the, the third infusion. And this particularly became an issue during the COVID-19 pandemic when it was shown that high-dose steroids increased uh, the chances of getting severe COVID-19. So a lot of MS centers actually have continued this practice post-COVID-19. In other words, they don't continue to give uh, high-dose intravenous steroids to prevent infusion reactions after the third infusion. Um, the other claim is that ofatumumab is less depleting, and based on at least the short-term data, it is less depleting than ocrelizumab. And I suspect this is because it doesn't get into the deep tissues as well as ocrelizumab. So that's the lymph nodes, spleen, bone marrow, and the other non-blood compartments. When you look at the peripheral blood compartment, it looks like they deplete to similar levels in terms of B-cell numbers. And we do see that um, when you stop the drugs, you get your B-cells back a lot quicker with uh, ofatumumab than ocrelizumab. But it's difficult to compare the published results because the cutoffs that they use for the different drugs is different. So for ofatumumab, for example, the lower limit of normal is considered to be 40 B-cells per microliter. Okay, uh, Whereas for ocrelizumab, that's 80 cells per microliter and double that. 
So when you actually look at the published repopulation kinetics, it's very difficult to compare uh, Ophitumumab with Ocrelizumab. And I keep reiterating this. The Ocrelizumab data looks a lot worse in terms of how long it takes for the B cells to come back because they're using a different definition of what, re what B cell re repopulation looks like. So that's the first thing. Okay. <clears throat> the other thing is in Ocrelizumab development program, there was a primary progressive population studied in the oratorio trial. And as you know, people with primary progressive MS are older. They tend to be more disabled. They tend to have more comorbidities. So therefore, you're looking at a different overall population. And there's no doubt that with anti-CD20 uh, and B-cell depletion, you get much more side effects occurring in the older, more disabled population with comorbidities. So a lot of the signal in terms of safety that comes out from oculizumab is driven by the primary progressive population. And when you limit the analyses uh, to the relapsing uh, populations, they're very similar, in my opinion, in terms of their safety profile. So it's not that easy to compare safety of the two compounds based on the phase three uh, and extension results. Another thing that's not taken into account here is that when we actually look at the safety profile of the trials, these patients were naive to anti-CD20 therapy. So you're comparing patients going on to anti-CD20 having been on maybe no therapy in the past or another agent that's not B-cell depleting. And so this particular patient is going to be shifted from ocrelizumab to ofatumumab. So they will already have had quite a significant uh, B-cell depletion and deep tissue depletion, and therefore it's not the same. Uh, it's not the same as going on topatumumab uh, without having previously been exposed to an anti-CD20 therapy. So I have I can't see any reason why this patient is going to repopulate uh, their B cell compartment even in the deep tissue by moving from ocrelizumab to ofatumumab. So I think the message I want to get across here is the immunological effects of sequencing from ocrelizumab to ofatumumab are very different. Uh, to going on to ofatumumab from the outset. Okay, and I don't see the safety profile changing at all. This particular individual may shift from one anti-CD20 to another, but they're going to remain profoundly B-cell depleted. So therefore, all the potential adverse events associated with long-term B-cell depletion are going to be similar. Mm. Um, so apart from avoiding high-dose steroids to prevent infusion reactions, which in my opinion, are not necessary anyway. Uh, I'm not convinced that this patient's nurses claim that ofatumumab is going to be safe and ofatumumab is correct. Now, you may argue, well, maybe they're switching because of efficacy reasons. Um, my personal opinion is it's very unusual for somebody to have to switch because of efficacy reasons. There is a potential a rare event where somebody on ofatumumab may develop anti-drug antibodies. So these is when you, this is when your own immune system mounts an antibody response to the drug and neutralizes its activity. Uh, and therefore, the loss of efficacy may be because the ocrelizumab is not working. And this happens in maybe 1% of people on ocrelizumab. Uh, uh, and if this is the case, then yes, there is a logic to switch to ofatumumab, which is a more humanized antibody. And the chance of getting antidrug antibodies on ofatumumab is virtually zero. It's less than 0.1%. <clears throat> Just to be clear, you can actually look to see if somebody's got anti-drug antibodies on ocrelizumab. They tend not to deplete their B cells or they repopulate very quickly. Or you can actually measure for the anti actually anti to, to detect anti-drug antibodies using a specialized assay. 
<clears throat> obviously, if somebody is failing ocrelizumab because of biological reasons, so their MS is active despite being B cell depleted, it makes no sense, in my opinion, to switch within the class, in other words, to another anti-CD20 therapy. I mean, if you're not responding to ocrelizumab, why would you respond to ofatumumab? And my personal opinion there is you should really review the diagnosis, make sure you have MS because, <clears throat> you know, sometimes the reason why people are not responding is that I have another disease. And so you have to exclude MS mimics that may not be responsive to anti-CD20 therapy. And if you are still convinced it's uh, MS, then you might, you have to switch out of the class to a new class of agent uh, or maybe because it's a high-efficacy therapy, consider HSCT as an option to treat this patient. Switching for convenience, yes, I think this is a valid reason to switch from ocrelizumab to opatumumab, and we have a handful of patients who have switched in our center. They don't find coming up every six months and giving up half a day uh, convenient, uh, and they would rather self-inject once a month, and, th and there is a convenience factor there, and I have no problem at all in sanctioning a switch from ocrelizumab to opatumumab for patient convenience, and it should be up to the patient to choose that. However, there is a push in, in the UK amongst MS centres, particularly those centres that have a shortage in NHS infusion capacity, to make patients or at least uh, uh, push patients towards switching. I personally don't have a problem with this policy. If you do have a capacity issue, well, then you need to use your therapies intelligently, and this is an intelligent way of actually creating infusion capacity by switching people from ocrelizumab uh, to ofatumumab and from IV natalizumab to subcutaneous natalizumab. But I think you need to make people, your patients, aware of the reasons for, for doing this, okay, and giving them a choice. They, they shouldn't be forced to do this. And I think that's kind of the principle around um, uh, making a change in treatment is making sure patients are on board with your uh, reasons for doing it and that they have a choice and saying yes or no. I'm also aware a lot of patients who have been offered um, ocrelizumab to ofatumumab switches don't want to have to self-inject. They may have needle phobia, etc., and prefer to come up, and that should be their choice. <clears throat> um, my only concern, though, uh, with making this switch is that we may be missing a trick. We don't really have head-to-head -head, uh, data of ocrelizumab versus ofatumumab uh, in terms of its impact on smoldering MS. The analysis, um, I think the question refers to is whether ofatumumab is more effective is a, what I call a network analysis where you link trials by common agents. And when you look at the network analysis, it does appear that ofatumumab um, is superior to ocrelizumab in terms of its reduction in relapse rates um, and MRI activity. So my that's not a direct comparison. That's a statistical uh, trick we use uh, called network analysis. But the differences are quite small, and I'm not sure they're clinically significant. So I personally would not put too much weight on the fact that ofatumumab looks to be more effective than ocrelizumab in suppressing relapses because the populations and the comparators are different, and they were different in different epochs. Okay, so that should not be, uh, in my opinion, a driver for switching, is that ofatumumab looks more effective than ocrelizumab in terms of relapse reduction. And I would go beyond the relapses and MRI activity and ask the question, is ofatumumab superior to ocrelizumab in terms of smoldering pathology? And we don't really know because we haven't got data uh, that is what I would say um, mature enough for us to make that recommendation.
But I do have a hypothesis that's supported by a postdoc analysis of the phase three oculizumab data suggesting the higher the dose, the better you do. So what we saw in clinical trial, in the clinical trials about the relapsing of primary progressive is that the larger you were, the less dose you got. And that's quite simple, is we fixed the dose in the phase three program at 600 milligrams every six months. And that means that if you weighed 120 kilograms, so you're quite large, you would get five milligrams per kilogram. Then if you were 60 kilograms, you would get 10 milligrams per kilogram, or in other words, double the dose. Built into the trial program um, is <clears throat> built into the trial program is different dosing based on body weight, and a postdoc analysis was done where the trial population was divided into quint, uh, quartiles, you know, four divisions based on the le level of uh, oculizumab in the peripheral blood and level of B cell depletion, and there was clearly uh, different dosing across those quartiles. And surprise, surprise, there was no difference in outcome in terms of relapse reduction or MRI activity suppression between the different doses of oculizumab in the phase three program. So the assumption then is we're overdosing and you only need to use the lower dose in inverted commas to suppress relapse MRI activity. Yes, but when you actually looked at the impact on disability progression or smoldering MS, which I think is the real MS, there was a clear hierarchy. In other words, the higher the dose, the better you did in terms of uh, delaying and worsening. And I think the reason for this is because the higher doses you are, the more gets into the brain and spinal cord, and the more antibodies, the more likely you are to deplete CNS B cells. Um, and so this is one of the drivers why we now got two big phase three uh, trials going on testing standard dose 600 milligrams oculizumab versus 1200 versus 1800 milligrams and, uh, uh, and we, I think we need to wait for the readout of these to see if we need higher rather than lower doses of oculizumab and I think because ofatumumab is quite low dose it's 60 that's 20 milligrams subcutaneously every month and um, there's a big difference between uh, how much circulating levels there are and the ability of that drug to penetrate the CNS. And this is kind of borne out in the trials. So in the uh, uh, relapsing opera uh, one and two trials, and even in the primary progressive oratorio trial, there clearly was an impact on brain volume loss uh, compared to interferon beta in the relapsing population or the placebo group in the primary progression. In other words, oculizumab did slow down brain volume loss compared to the comparator arms. Whereas in the ofatumumab phase three, uh, there was no difference between ofatumumab and teriflunamide in, in terms of brain volume loss. They were almost identical in year two when you rebaseline that 12 months. So I'm a little bit skeptical about um, the ability of ofatumumab to get into the CNS and impact on the small ring pathology driven by intrathecal or the CNS B cells. So I would tell this patient, uh, I think this patient needs to be aware of this. And if they do switch to a lower dose, they may be impacting on the ability of uh, the anti-CD20 to penetrate the central nervous system. And I think this doesn't apply to only to ofatumumab. This also applies to some centers that are adaptively dosing oculizumab. In other words, not giving it every six months, they're giving it every nine or 12 months, or even rituximab. Uh, I'm aware from 
personal communication from the Karolinska Institute that in the rituximab cohort in Sweden, brain volume loss was actually worse. In other words, more, there was more brain volume loss on rituximab compared to the interferon beta cohort. So, you know, when you move beyond focal inflammation, relapses and MRI activity and look at disability progression, brain volume loss and other potential biomarkers uh, of smoldering MS, you may find that the higher the dose of ocrelizumab, the better. And this is why I would be very reluctant to say that we're over-treating with high-dose ocrelizumab. We don't know that yet. So I think we need to wait for those two trials to report out on the high-dose versus low-dose or standard-dose of ocrelizumab. And this kind of underpins our, um, our current hypothesis that we need CNS-penetrant therapies, you know, be it proteasome inhibitors, cladribine, uh, the new BTK inhibitors, um, teriflunomide or CNS-penetrant teriflunomide drugs. We need drugs that get into the central nervous system to target smoldering MS, and that includes getting into the central nervous system and trying to uh, scrub the brain clean of plasma cells and B cells. So yes, I think the jury's out, and I would say to you that uh, you really should um, ask yourself the question that if you were going to go on to a B-cell depleting agent, uh, particularly one that acts mainly in the periphery, would you want to be on a high dose or a low dose? Would you want some CNS penetration, or would you want good CNS penetration? And that's a really important question. Um, I think none of the issues that I raise in this newsletter should be new to you. Anybody who reads and follows MSLFI will know I've been through this many times before and there are many other uh, newsletters or case studies from the past when I address this issue. And so I think we should just pause uh, and think about what MS is and what we're trying to do with our therapies. And before we get convinced by relapses and MRI activity, we need to think beyond that and think, what what do we want to do? You know, Do we want to be relapse and MRI activity free but still be getting worse? Or do we want to be relapsed in MRI activity and slowing down end organ damage, brain volume loss? And if that's what you want, then I think the uh, option of staying on high-dose uh, anti-CD20 therapy uh, should be on the table. It shouldn't be just taken off the table. And this information should be shared with people with multiple sclerosis because there are some subtleties to uh, B-cell therapies that need to be uh, addressed and researched. Anyway, I've actually added the research paper and the link to the research paper um, showing you the uh, postdoc analysis um, based on body mass or body size uh, and ocrelizumab dosing, the impact on disability progression. There's a clear ladder both in the relapsing and the primary progressive population showing that the more ocrelizumab you get, the better you do. Anyway, please feel free to ask questions. I'll try and respond to them. And again, for those people who uh, can afford, I urge you to become pain subscribers. As you've seen, we've uh, launched the MS Selfie microsite. This has been this is a, uh, a labor of love, I suppose. I'm uh, asking a medical writer to convert my uh, MS Selfie posts into written format, and this takes time and obviously resource. And I'm using the, the money raised from subscriptions to pay for the medical writer the maintenance of the website, as well as the web designer who uh, uh, keeps it up to date. Anyway, enjoy.